Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson. I am here today with Stephen Aramini, winner of the 2018 Cardboard Edison Award, Nat Levan, and Josh Mills, winners of the 2018 Ion Award. Stephen, Nat, Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Hello. Thanks a lot. Uh, so let's just go down the list and have you introduce yourselves a bit. Uh, let's start with Stephen. I am Stephen Aramini, and um, I designed um, Yardmaster, um, and then I have co-designed a couple, uh, including Circle of Wagons and Groves, um, and also Barker's Row uh, is another one that has come out. Cool. And Nat? Uh, I'm Nat Levan. If you've heard of me, it's probably because you have played New Bedford, which is uh, my game with Dice Hate Me Games. Uh, I've also got uh, Time Management, the Time Management Games uh, with uh, Greater Than Games. And uh, I've been doing a lot of work with uh, making tiny games for uh, Button Shy. And Josh. Josh Mills, you'll know me from Rocky Road Alamode. Uh, also, I'll have Milkman coming out from Dice Hate Me Games uh, sometimes next year, uh, plus some other stuff in the works. Very mysterious. Uh, Josh, have you done work for Button Shy? Uh, yeah, I did one of the uh, postcards, I believe, last year. It was Edward Scissorhands, or the the movie I had was Edward Scissorhands, so, and the card was basically put uh, cards in between your fingers and then try to like make hedges using the cards between your fingers it was ridiculous so and i've done some other little stuff for for them on this on the slack but that is the the real deal when it comes to button shy cool so we are all button shy designers which at this point who isn't today we are talking about how to win a game design contest let's just get into it uh let's start from the bottom now josh any overall thoughts on game design contests uh, why are they good why you obviously bothered entering at least one so what are your thoughts on them just overall the biggest biggest thing if you want to win one you need to enter one um i know that sounds ridiculous but you have to actually do something to to put it in there the reason why i value them is because they give me a deadline so it gives me something to shoot for um something to target i really like the ones that have a specific theme or a specific like mechanic um, that you need to like center it around because then it gets my creative juices flowing. Usually is why I don't win, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, the the deadline point is probably I think the best thing about a contest. Um, I mean, most of them don't even really have a prize at all. It's it's just do this thing in front of people. So, Nat, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, Josh is completely wrong. My advice for winning contests is don't design games to win contests, uh, which also sounds really stupid, uh, but. Uh, in certainly my own personal experience, when I design a game for a specific contest, uh, it is not ready by the time I need to submit it for the contest. Uh, what really helps is entering a bunch of contests and kind of taking that same game through the ringer a couple times. Uh, I know I've got uh, this year's game... Uh, the Iron Award-winning American Steel started as a completely different game for a different contest. And uh, it did not win the first contest, but we kept working on it. And by the time we entered the Ion Award uh, contest, it was a significantly better game than we had started with. Cool. So using the iterative process through design contests with... I mean, you cast a wide net, you have better chances of winning, statistically, I guess. Steven, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I guess I'd kind of middle it and say, you're both right. <laughs> um, 
like for me, I, I guess it depends on the, the contest itself because I've entered a couple of different contests and, um, like in the case of cardboard Edison, you know, that has no restriction on theme or mechanics or anything like that. So I was basically designing a game anyways, just on my own. And I just happened to, you know, enter that to see what would happen. So um, that one had such a wide net that, you know, pretty much anybody could enter if they felt like they had a, a game that was ready to ready to rock and be put in front of judges. But I've also entered like game crafter contests, which which are definitely more focused. And, um, you know, those I've I've actually um, designed specifically for that challenge. And um, to Nat's point, you know, I don't design them to win, uh, per se, but more just to kind of take on that challenge of, Hey, if I could create a trick taker, that's the challenge, you know, what would be my take on it? So, um, so I think it depends on the contest is, uh, if you, if you want to tackle something very specific or just kind of wait, lie and waiting until the right contest comes along and, and you just happen to have the right product to, to throw at it. So we'll have a nice balanced discussion if you're all on different ends of the spectrum. I know personally, I, I got really big into contests maybe two years ago. Um, I started entering basically one a month. I was doing all the Game Crafter contests, and I got really burnt out. I would do 80% of a game, get it done, enter the contest, lose the contest, move on to the next game, and I I never finished anything because I was always working on a new thing for the next thing. So recently I stopped that and kind of been avoiding contests to focus more, but the new new Game Crafter contest, the um, Dimension Challenger, whatever it is, it's it's very interesting, so I might... I might come out of contest retirement for that. Have any of you seen the Dimension Challenge yet? Um, I, yeah, I did check it out. It was it was pretty interesting because it had a lot of uh, very diverse um, qualifications uh, from like you know making it 3D or another one was um, having an emotional response um, or taking people on an emotional journey, um, playing with like time space. Uh, so, so it was kind of, it was, it was a pretty interesting take on, on a challenge that I hadn't seen before. Yeah. It seems in one way wide open. You just can't be a normal game, which makes it very restrictive in another sense. But let's, uh, so let's open up the discussion to how to win a contest. So anyone have specific advice on, First of all, targeting a contest. Yeah, I would say first. I mean, in terms of targeting, if it resonates you when you first hear, resonates with you when you first hear about it, that that means something. Uh, I think for me, what you do is you need to fail a lot at making uh, <laughs> entering contest uh, if you eventually want to win. Uh, like Nat alluded to, our originally American Steel, uh, which is amazing, and in you know we're looking for publishers if if one's out there. I'm just saying, uh, let's plug ourselves. Um, was a Manhattan dice game. So that that was a great... It was, that was kind of a weird situation because it was on Game Crafter and it was also through uh, Minion's website, I believe. So I wanted... I and it, it had to be that theme and I had just got done playing uh, Energy Empire and was in that world and I was like, oh, I want to I see what I can do in someone else's world and someone else's kind of uh, design space but bring you know a, a dice element to it. Uh, and I talked Nat into doing it which I don't know why he said yes, really. 
but <laughs> he did. Uh, and then we, we went through that whole process and we made something that was, like you said, 80% there. Uh, and luckily for us, we lost because I think if we would have won or been in the finals, we wouldn't have been as compelled to find what eventually was the right theme, which was steel production. Uh, and then once we had that theme and we the game got a lot better, we got excited about it ourselves. And then we saw other contests, you know, kind of pop up and and we were like, hey, now we have something good. So maybe now we could actually win. Matt, any follow-up to that? You know, Josh uh, makes the point there that, uh, you know, it, it gave us kind of this thing that we could use as a base to start looking around at other projects, other contests that maybe we would fit into that mold as well. And I think that really goes to, to speak about going through the process of developing the game. Uh, it's really hard to develop a game just for one end goal. Development is a longer process that has to work over and over again. And trying to hit that single end goal, you know, you're not planning on coming back to it, really. You're you're kind of just need to squeak over that finish line. And I think that's not really how uh, a, a good game gets made not by not by just eking out enough of a game but by really going back in multiple times uh with you know and and different contests provide different uh lenses really to look at your game and say you know what parts of this are really working what parts of this are uh the strongest uh what parts of this are giving a more universal experience that people are going to enjoy and you know picking up a couple different contests you really get to trim off a lot of the extra stuff and get down to the heart of the game that uh, makes it uh, enjoyable and gives you i think probably a better game even if you don't necessarily win yeah and i don't i don't like to lose either um so I kind of, but it's also a really uh, powerful motivator. So knowing that, like, oh hey, I only have three months or two weeks or, you know, eighteen days. I don't know what kind of contests are out there, but I only have that limited time to make something. It's not like I'm just doing it to do it. Like I want to win. I do not want to fail. Like I want to put the best thing possible that I can do out there. The problem is I'm not going to be able to, and then I will fail. Fail, and that will drive me even more to be like, no, I know this game is better than that. I know I can, I can do better than that. Um, because the winner's garbage and uh, my game's the best, right? Like, you, it's that kind of driver. It's not true, obviously, because you didn't win. Um, but that motivation to me is, is really helpful. And that's why I say yes to contests and try to enter them to begin with is because I know that's probably going to be the outcome. Well, even the winner of a contest, usually, like you said, they have such quick deadlines that the best game in the contest isn't necessarily even a good game yet. It still takes, if someone is willing to work on it still, like another year of development. And like you guys did, going to other contests to refine it even more. And have any of you published any games that you won a contest with? Uh, I haven't personally, but I have someone here that has. Um, if he wants to go ahead and just speak real quickly about uh, Xenon Profiteer. So we kind of did a subtle, subtle subterfuge. Um, my name's TC Petty III, and I just happen to be down here in North Carolina with Josh Mills. So I just happen to be in the room. And, and hey, uh, it's awesome. Shout out to Stephen Aramini, who's on this podcast right now. And we are fellow Ion Award winners of the same exact year. So that is... Yeah. yeah. I feel really left out because I'm the only one here that hasn't won the Ion Award now. <laughs> you can, you can go ahead and drop. It's okay. 
Welcome to the show, TC. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Sorry to spring it on you, but it's a surprise. So, uh, hey, um, I uh, I have Xenon Profiteer, which was one of the Ion Award winners. Steven, he also had uh, Yardmaster, but at the time, and I can't even remember. Now it's been so long, I can't even remember what it was called at the time. What was it called? It was, uh, at the time, it was called Payload. Payload, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we were, so we both got ours published after the contest. I didn't realize, and I thought the Ion Award was amazing. I didn't realize that you had the entire West Coast, all those publishers were looking at this contest. It was kind of a secret, like, little, like, group that I had no clue. And it's still kind of like that, while, while some people have dropped out. And it was super awesome. Like, just entering that contest to begin with got me so many contacts that I didn't expect. Super good. But, yeah, just it, once it got, it, I, I've said this on other podcasts before, but, like, secretly, they had already told me ahead of time that, that I had won the contest. Not not really, but why like, wouldn't anybody do that for me? I had to wait until Saturday from Thursday. Well, it was it was kinda on the DL a little bit. But it was it was more that I'd gotten contacts from different publishers. So I already had signed a publishing contract for the game before the contest was over. And I think honestly, just that is good enough. I mean, you don't I know it's about winning contests, but you don't even have to win the contest. If you're just there, you might just happen to pique somebody's interest that's going to be looking at your game and it's influential. But when the game comes out, man, I, I, I was just super happy because I thought a game called Xenon Profiteer had no chance at all. They didn't even change the theme. They gave me a lot of creative uh, uh, energy and or uh, <laughs> I got control. There we go. Creative control works you got a lot of work and i got a lot of work yes (laughs) but it was super awesome and uh just transitioning over i think a lot of people look at those contests and they really they want a winner it's good it's good to have a winner in your catalog yeah and i just to just to pull off of that i think it really it comes down to like what's your objective with the contest is it to get that deadline to put something out there is it to make sure like i can honestly tell you right now there's a like with american steel I'm really enjoying that game right now. I feel really good about it. There's a contest in Italy where it's a ton of the European publishers are the judges, and I'm almost tempted just to submit it just for the exposure to the to get it in front of their face, right? Independent of trying to win anything, like there's an avenue for them to be exposed to my game. Cool. Sorry I brought TC on. Everything's going to go downhill from now on. It should be interesting. But uh, that's you bring up a good point. Just getting it in front of the judges, which in a lot of these, especially the bigger contests like Cardboard Edison, Ion Award, um, a lot of the judges are publishers and industry professionals that know publishers. So win or lose, you're getting great exposure. Uh, usually they give you decent feedback. One question I have with the Ion Awards, that's you have to go to SaltCon if you're one of the finalists. Is that correct? That is correct. Unless they changed it. But when when I went, yeah, you did have to go. And luckily for me, I, I am only like one state away. But for these guys, it was it was a haul. That's why my secret plan was uh, getting Josh to go for me. Because technically, only one of the designers has to go, not both of them. Yeah, and I, I actually, I had gone to SaltCon one time before um, where I had entered the Ion Award, uh, but I did not win. I wasn't even a finalist, but I was like, I'm gonna go anyway. Uh, this time, I waited until we found out we were finalists and then the then everything cost twice as much. But it was, <laughs> but it was fine. I had a, a great time out in uh, Salt Lake. It's a good convention. But that brings up a, a good point is like, uh, the Ion Award, you, you are playing the game 
with the judges. You are talking to them about the game. They're asking things that you normally maybe not, like if someone was just blind play testing your game, wouldn't come up. Right. Like they're like, hey, what's your intent here? Like, what's your motivation? Where do you see, you know, where do you see this going or that going in terms of the world? Not maybe about that game, but it's it's more of a give and take. Uh, and you kind of have to be on your toes. And I like that situation. I personally would rather be face to face with them, showing the game, having them experience it. Now, it's a little bit different because you have about an hour and our game was an hour. So you want to be able to talk to them and show them stuff. So. I just like randomly would be like jump jumped around three. Now you have all these buildings. Have fun. Here's some money. Um, don't worry about balance because obviously I just threw a bunch of stuff out. Um, so that's that's one actually one reason why the Iron Award uh, I gravitate towards it. Uh, but also like cardboard Edison, I like just the sheer amount of people that get eyes on it. Uh, the designer designers kind of removed from that process, but. It's interesting just to know that, like, hey, if if my game's in the Cardboard Edison finalist, 30 people <laughs> in the industry are going to see it. Um, and that was the case the first year Big Easy Busking was was a finalist. And I think I got some some of the best feedback I ever got from any from anybody anywhere from that contest. And I don't know what your experience was like winning. Your feedback was probably like, hey, it's good. Um, no, there was a, actually a lot of great feedback and... Um, like you said, the, with the cardboard at Edison, you know, there is no contract that is given to the winner, but what it does do is just, it gets your game in front of a lot of professionals and, and, and it just kind of helps create those contacts. So, I mean, that's really the, the big benefit of that, but, um, yeah, I've gotten great feedback from several, several sources. And, um, so yeah, it, it was a great experience. And, um, I believe all three of us were finalists last year. Um, cause Nat, I think you had iceberg and Josh, you had masters of sound and I had bomber boys. Yep. That's right. Man. Did really, man, we're just a loaded podcast right here. <laughs> you know, who is it in that list? TC Petty. Yeah, well, you know why? Because <laughs> I consider myself an established designer. Oh, I forgot he was even here, actually. <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, but hey, you know, if you're going to get into these awards and, and contests and stuff, I mean, it's just, it's it's a it's a good ego boost. I mean, sometimes, just to, just to see that people are looking at your game and, and giving it either, you know, any ratings. I know that it was hard for me whenever I, I first got ratings on the original ion award because the ratings were all over the place i just went for they actually sent you a spreadsheet with all the judges ratings and their comments and it went four ten four ten four ten four it was just back and forth it was the weirdest feedback ever i've gotten so hey at least i make weird games i guess that's interesting because most of the contests they don't actually give you back your scores they'll give you the written feedback but that's it I can't remember if they do it for Cardboard Edison or not. If it actually has the the scores on it, I think it I think it does, because um, we didn't get in the finals uh, with American Steel. We entered, but I know we got our our uh, reviews back. That just shows you that it's kind of a crapshoot anyway, right? Because that game's amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, but I know, and Matt, you're the one that got all the feedback and everything. I don't remember seeing any numbers on our sheets. I, I mean, I know. 
that they do it based on a huge uh, spreadsheet and all sorts of uh, complicated uh, forms with numbers to fill out. And somewhere along the line, they pick everybody with a number that's greater than whatever. And those are the finalists. So, uh, but I, I do remember getting those numbers for the uh, Ion Award. Uh, I know in the past I've, I've done some of the, uh, some judging stuff with button shy and i i know we had numbers for that behind the scenes i don't remember if the numbers for that went out to the uh to the entrance i think the button shy numbers went out i think they went out the first year i don't know if they did the second year i have a question has animal kingdoms been picked up uh no it has not um, okay. But it it is uh, with a few different publishers that are evaluating it. So, but as of now, no, it is it is very much available to all those publishers listening. <laughs> oh, and it will be, and it should be, I'm sure. The publishers that it's with right now were they from Cardboard Edison Award or separate from that? Um, a couple of them were. I, I think they were either like preliminary judges or. Or finalist judges and then a couple were just like people that i follow or we follow each other on twitter and um and they reached out to me so uh so yeah that's that's the stage that that's in like we've been saying it is just useful to get in front of people and make those connections i know most of the connections i have are through entering contests um most of the people i've had on this podcast are people i've met because i entered different contests so even if you don't lose there's still you make a lot of connections to other people who entered um actually person who started a playtest group near me who i'm now in was actually someone who beat me in a game crafter contest i got second place he got first i didn't even know he lived in my state and then we <laughs> ran into each other at a convention and he's like oh this is my game I'm like that's the game that beat me and now we're friends and we play test together so it's great for community building win or lose and as everyone has always said the game design community is such a friendly place that everyone's looking to help everyone else so there's there's lots of benefits even if you don't win. Yeah, I think uh, you know even though this uh, episode is ostensibly about how to win game design contests, you know, the only thing you're trying to do is to uh, win a contest. You're you're probably doing yourself as well as all the judges uh, a disservice. Like winning contests is great, but doesn't mean you've got a great game. I think we were all mentioning earlier like we've had games that have done well in contests and then that's kind of the start of all the real work fine-tuning uh continued development after that and really uh taking the game from yeah this is a a good game to this game is absolutely ready to be done so you know contests don't get you that last distance they they can take you you know, 90% of the way, but that last 10% is going to be a long 10%. It's not just automatically uh, done because you won a contest. Yeah, I agree completely. They're more the catalyst for creating a great game than actually the end product of making a great game, for me anyway. Josh, are you saying that just by entering, entering the contest... You've won the contest. Uh, I I am saying that TC. Okay. I am. You've won unless you actually win, because then everybody else lost. Um, <laughs> but yes, you you are the real winning. prize is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I mean, it feels good just to submit and have it done and get it in. I mean, with American Steel, Nat and I both have small children, and 
uh, just and it was what did we call it? Meltdown Manhattan Meltdown Dice Game Meltdown Dice, um, whatever we named it. When we entered it, I was just excited to get to to have done something. So, have any of you judged any contests? I've done a, a little bit of judging for Button Shy. I think. <laughs> Uh, I've, really, all I've done for Button Shy, I think, was some of the uh, the nano game contests they had done. Uh, I want to say two years ago now, uh, which you know was not a the amount of work that goes into judging cardboard Edison or uh, Ion Award. I'm sure, but you know, certainly there's a lot of uh, similarities there that you know we're we're still looking at reviewing ten, fifteen. 20 games a piece maybe uh, based on a pitch to start and then advancing to rules and uh, potentially even moving on to actually playing the games at the end and uh, I I think everyone here uh, except maybe TC has uh, seen some of the conversations we've had uh, on the button shy slack uh, talking about you know what's the best way to do that judging to make sure that you know if there's a game that's really good it doesn't get missed just because you know we're doing the numbers weird or uh you know the the pitch maybe didn't bring out the best of the game and uh, i think those are all things that designers entering don't really see goes on but you know as judges we really uh, agonize a lot, even over a really small contest, about making sure that we're giving each game a fair shot and looking for the games that have potential, not just games that are, you know, ready to slap your name on the box and shove it out the door. That brings up a good point. I know uh, most of these contests, especially the big ones, they rely on a pitch video first. And if you're no good at pitching on video, you can. Get a real detriment in the contest, even if you have the greatest game ever. If you can't explain it, that's uh, could be a big problem. I just was doing judging for Boston Fig, which not technically a contest. You're still competing for one of about 50 spots in the showcase, and this year they had oh, I think about 160 entrants. So it was kind of tough to pick the best people, and I had to go through and I think I ended up watching 21 videos. But there's a a drastic difference in the video and pitch ability of designers. So you can really lose a gem if you're not good at selling it, which is kind of too bad. Yeah, and one of the things, I, I got in an argument with Ben Pinchback on Twitter. Not really an argument, whatever. I was just kind of trolling him for fun. But we were talking about just videos and Cardboard Edison and what the expectation was. And my philosophy was, I'm just going to tell you about a cool thing in the game. And if you want to know more about how the game actually works, you're going to look at the rules. You're going to read that stuff. And his expectation was like, I want to understand how the game works, plays, and flows from the video. And to me, that sounds boring as all hell. So we just differ, in, we just differ on like what we think is the right tactic. Now, he was a judge, and I was a contestant, so I blew it. But he wasn't judging mine. But... That that comes to like, what are the expectations? Do the contest really explicitly tell you? Is it open form? Um, can the judges separate their personal bias for how you present the information from what the information is? Are you do you make mediocre games? Like this is a good example because it's me. Do you make mediocre games but know how to like pitch them well for cardboard Edison? Uh, at least the first two years, things apparently yeah, changed. Yeah, that's definitely you. Yeah. And then. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, or yeah, just not a lot of contests are established. And I think the more we move forward and the more the industry grows, they're going to start to have a flavor to them. Like they're going to have the Academy Awards and we're also going to have like the People Choice Awards and, you know, like the weird different, like the Nickelodeon Awards. Like I would want to win that every single time. Like I don't care about anything. I just want my game to be the silliest, most fun thing that and get a cool blimp. That was probably like two years in the 90s. But anyway, um, I think we're still early because a lot of a lot of this stuff is more refined in other industries, uh, and I don't think you can really judge all the games evenly and pick one. You eventually have to just pick one. But obviously, there's a lot of good content out there. That brings up another issue with different size contests. So I know the Game Crafter ones. The first level is just public judging, which I mean it's similar to the pitch video stage and other things. But you don't need a video, and you can just get enough friends together to push yourself into the finals. But then it's usually um, a single judge hosting the contest that's doing the final judging to knock down like the top 20 to the top seven. And then you have things like Cardboard Edison and Iron Awards are similar, I think, where you have a really large amount of judges and they don't all see everything. So to a degree, you're kind of getting lucky if your game matches up with the judge that likes that type of game. They can say, this isn't for me, but it's a good game. But that only goes so far when you're knocking down 200 games to seven finalists. So what are your thoughts on ways that that can be mitigated? Or is that just a thing that's going to happen with these larger contests? Yeah, I think we saw that uh, with our Cardboard and Edison uh, feedback this year, uh, is that you know we had uh, five or six different uh, judges who wrote down some very useful, very helpful feedback. And I, I think you know most of it was pretty good, and then we had a one or two that said, you know, hmm, you know, this doesn't really look like my type of game. This this sort of thing, I don't understand how this one thing is going to work out. I'm really concerned about this other aspect of it, and uh, I think when you've got a small number of judges relative to the entries, that's just going to be something that happens. You know, you're not going to uh, hit every judge as a perfect judge for your game every time. Uh, and so there's really two ways of looking at it. One way is saying, you know, maybe we need to fix how we judge something and uh, work around that. Or maybe you should say as a designer, you know, I'm going to work on only putting these games out there that I'm sure that this is going to be a smash hit with everybody and, you know, just make it super accessible, make it uh, super uh, easy, super quick to pick up so that uh, even if I don't get a perfect judge, it's still someone who's going to be able to say, man, this is a, a quality game that I normally wouldn't look at. So, you know, it's it's easy as a contestant to uh, put that all on the judges. And I think that that's not fair to the judges. Uh, and everyone has a role to play in making sure that when you do a game and you're submitting it to a contest, you know, that that's part of submitting to a contest is knowing who the judges are, who the judges can be and deciding if you're really trying to hit everybody or if you're just going after a, a smaller focus. And it's really the same type of decision you're going to be making uh, if you're going to a publisher or, you know, doing it like a, a designer, publisher speed dating sort of event you, know, you need to decide if you're going to 
do a more shotgun approach, or if you're really going to focus it down and find uh, one or two people that you think it might be a perfect fit for. Um, I think also, depending on the contest, I think your approach should be different. So, for example, like the Game Crafter, um, you know, they require you to have, quote, final art uh, for your game, um, which then it it definitely becomes a bit of a beauty pageant in terms of how your game looks um, to, to at least get it to the finals. Um, and for those contests, like I entered two contests for that. Uh, I entered one called the Sprue Challenge and one called the Trick Taker. And because that was their requirements, I actually partnered up with uh, an illustrator to make the game and graphic designer to, to make the, the game look pretty because I'm not a graphic designer and I'm not an illustrator. And that absolutely, I think, was what resulted in success for me on those. And I know that's just not feasible for a lot of people because they don't have those, um, you know, those people that they can connect with. Um, but that is, that is definitely a reality that I've seen with the game crafter contests, at least is, you know, it seems like people that win those, you know, they either are professional graphic designers or they have taken it to, to that level. Now, on the other hand, if you're entering it into something like a button shy contest or a dice hate me contest, you know, those guys are publishers and they, they really are just looking at what's the gameplay like and what are the mechanics like. So, uh, so I think a lot of it is just understanding what you're entering and sort of altering your approach to how you're going to build this game and how far you feel like you need to take it. You know, like in the Ion Award, I've, I've talked to a, a guy who entered the final, the finals and, and to, to what uh, Josh was saying, you know, you have to present it to the judges. And so it's got to be, it's got to be kind of to a certain degree foolproof. And he had presented it and some weird kind of quirk happens and it sort of broke his game in the middle of the judges judging it. And so it, so again, that was just one of those things where, you know, that game probably wasn't ready to get in front of judges. So I think that's a lot of it is just depending on what contest you're, you're looking into, just kind of know what your, your, uh, what your judge is looking for. Yeah. I think especially with the game crafter contests, because the, the first line of judging is just the game crafter community, uh, making it look good is a massive thing. Like just having the best looking icon there will get people to look at it. So that matters a lot to that, but less so with publisher, contests which reminds me of different um like the different setup for unpub and metatopia metatopia you see much rougher games that people are working on a lot of designers talking to each other but unpub when you bring in the public you really you need a nicer looking thing to draw their attention so it helps it helps to have better looking game at any stage but it's usually not worth the trouble or not feasible for the cost yeah and also like for me like um with with tricky tides and with uh, Yardmaster, those I, I again I partnered with friends of mine who were the graphic designers or illustrators, um, and that art that is featured in those is actually the art that went through to the published product. So, you know that's not going to work for every publisher, but it did attract 
small indie publishers that were like kind of seeing that as a benefit as, um, you know, Hey, I get a game, but I also get the illustration that goes with it. And it's kind of, it, it, it it's a, a little bit more appealing maybe to an indie, uh, publisher, but I, you know, I, I know that can be to your detriment with another, uh, publisher. So for example, like I would imagine cardboard Edison or a larger publisher that's had contests like a dice hate me, you know, that would be a turnoff to, to see what, you know, would be considered more, more, um, advanced artwork because they want to apply their own artwork and their own spin on it. So, so again, yeah, it's just like, it could be, it could be, uh, a good route if that's what you're looking for, but it, it could also be your undoing if you're if you're trying to create like this indie game experience and, and pitching it to the wrong people. Anyone else have thoughts on how different contests require different things to enter? Um, I know we talked earlier about focusing on contests or just finding the contest that fits the game you already have. So what are any other tips for people to find exact or any specific information you know about contests you've entered, judged, or heard about that, um, how they're different and what they are looking for. I, I mean, personally, I want to see something that's more of like truly a design contest. So maybe like where it's really, it's kind of awarding, uh, Uh, pushing the medium forward so think of it like best mechanic best integrated theme with like examples but that might be that might make sense more for published titles but for for prototypes i think it could be interesting to do something along those lines to really do a contest that's rewarding rewarding innovation uh independent of perhaps like is the entire product experience awesome right because maybe somebody is is really good at uh at creating this one cool little mechanism that's interesting and new and different, but the the full experience, it's not art, it's handwritten, you know, which I don't think you need to invest in art or any of that stuff. Uh, and, but you're still right. Smaller publishers will, anytime they can save them money, they're going to, their eyes will get bigger. Um, I just want to see different types of approaches to how a contest is, contest is structured and, and works. Uh, and specifically for the prototype stuff, because, um, that's what I'm. That's what I'm interested in in doing and pushing myself on in terms of those deadlines. I don't know how you guys feel about it. Or that's interesting. That's the um, so Boston Fig. They they do actually an award ceremony for people in the showcase, and they've expanded the last couple of years. So it does have a couple of different categories. So there's there's an audience choice award, and that's voted on by just the people there. They put a slip in a box. Um, they do best artwork. I think most innovative and there might be a couple more. So they do kind of have those like Academy Awards style awards for, I mean, think strange. You have a mixture of handwritten prototypes and recently published games. So it's kind of a, a strange middle ground, but, and obviously the close to published games usually win the best artwork award. I think um, there's definitely a thing about uh, the difference between like curated contests and a contest like the, the Game Crafter, which has some curation in the background. You might have the, the winner of the last one helping to judge the next one and then uh, having specific judges you're going towards. But in that sense, you're kind of going towards a specific goal and a specific, I guess there's a process that's in place that, like you said, you need symbols, you need cool art, you need something as a hook to get people to click on it and get it to the finals. Whereas I'm 
uh, uh, curated ones where you go with a publisher. I know I helped judge the the 54 card challenge a few years back for Dice Hate Me, which we mentioned. And that was an awesome opportunity to see a lot of prototypes that weren't necessarily focused on creating some sort of zazz or, or some sort of... I guess a visual hook that's going to get me to play it, and I don't think the finalist of the the top three were were hideous to look at or anything, but they were they weren't fully polished games. They had they had done what they needed to do to get the job done, to get the the icons and everything in place, and written rules that were at least intelligible. But it's really cool to have that opportunity. And I think most people should, if you're going to design for a curated contest, do something weird and do something innovative and interesting. That's going to be rewarded. That's why I put a game like Xenon Profiteer in the Ion Award, because I thought it had no place to go. But if you're going to do something that's, if you're going to try to catch people's eyes, do something that's a little more flashy. I know <laughs> this is years back, but I entered the Game Crafter, like I think is the second Game Crafter contest. And... Uh, with a game called Good Old Punch and Planes. And I thought that was hilarious and it grabbed people's attention. And I ended up winning Best Art, which is kind of like kind of like stabbing me in the back and saying good job TC like and when you really don't mean it but at the same time I was super super happy to get an opportunity to be involved in that and I knew what type of audience I was going for so just know that who was going to be judging you and play to that audience a little bit like uh, Stephen was talking about I think that's really interesting you bring up the uh, the 54 card challenge which I had entered I guess that was the first contest I had entered uh, and I did. I was not like one of the top finalists, but I was kind of like the semi-finalist with a game that uh, eventually went on to become Time Management, the Time Management game, which got published because I submitted that to then the Meta Games Challenge or Meta Games Contest with Greater Than Games. So there's kind of you know, in a way, it's sort of the same contest but a couple years apart and the same game because uh, you know that ended up still being a dice hate me game even though it wasn't in the original form and you know th- those two were it was definitely down to me knowing the judges a whole lot better the second time you know i the the game was also much better, but I also knew, you know, exactly the sort of game that, uh, you know, Chris Kirkman and uh, the crew over at Gator Think Games. I knew exactly what everyone there would say. Ah, that's that's not being clever. This is definitely a game we want to do, and you know, just seeing that difference there in what I knew to do between the two contests, I think is a really, it really shows that, you know, we're, we're just kind of barely scratching the surface on what different contests are looking for at this point. You know, it's, there's so many that are sort of looking for the same general, you know, give me the, the best, uh, you know, whatever theme game, you know, it, it you get a lot of similar looking entries to contests like that and then you get something like uh, you know the current game crafter dimensions contest and you know that's all of a sudden something that's kind of really 
pushing the boundaries, you know, that, that looks like that's really asking for those kind of weird out there games. And I think that as we go on, we're going to see a lot more and more of those more specific, more, uh, more interesting contests that are asking for more from, uh, designers than just, you know, putting together a solid kind of generic, almost good game. I actually entered the Dice Hate Me 54 Guard game uh, challenge as well. I think we might have to blame that contest for a lot of these contests that have popped up. Because uh, I know a lot of people that started designing, especially for the game designers in North Carolina, because of that contest. Um, Cause it was like the thing is like, Oh, I can do 54 cards. Uh, and then I like Nat said he was a semifinalist. I was, I was what we want to call a uh, entry. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I haven't touched that game since. Uh, and that was the first time I entered a contest. So it was, it was that thing of like, I want to do this to try to win this contest. And then I didn't, and then I didn't do anything with it and don't do that. So, uh, and I learned my lesson from, from that situation. Right. Did you though? Did you though? You won because you know everybody, Nat. Okay, all right. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Well, Nat brought up a good point about like practice makes perfect, but with game design contests, you also you learn what the judges want in kind of a greater sense, just in general, like what makes a good game for a contest. But also specifically, because a lot of these contests have the same judges year after year, and different contests have the same judges because they're all the same professionals in the small industry. So you do get to know what they want. You get their feedback. If you're entering the same game to another contest or the next year, you can refine it based on their feedback. And unless they lied to you, it should be a better game for what they're looking for. But I'm wondering if because of that over a longer period, like you said, most of these contests are pretty new anyway, will we kind of have a homogenization of game designs coming together so they're all what the judges want and get kind of a stagnation and then to win you'll have to stand out from that crowd and then everyone will stand out and it'll spread apart again and you think we could end up with cycles of game design like that i think we already see kind of waves in contest um uh i know tc's brought it up before but like the 54 card game challenge uh there was a lot of three by three like grid entries including mine <laughs> maybe a few uh, yeah but th- that no one knew that's what anybody else was doing it's just that's one of the tools right in the toolbox uh and i think i think people get in just in the industry in general especially for the designers because it's different if it's published titles because that's a long process so they're probably going to be spaced out a little bit more um but when it's prototypes when it's early stuff oh there's this big cultural event now somehow everybody is making like library burning games right like out of nowhere and we don't know like what why did that happen but it happens, and it happens in almost every art form, music, movies. And we must, as a culture, just get some kind of impression or... Uh, I don't... We're somehow affected as one and then produce things that are similar, right? It's not like anybody's copying anyone. Uh, and that always interests me, and I don't know where that comes from. But I, I definitely agree that we'll end up having waves of different uh, approaches. So we're running down on time. Is anybody... Want to throw in any other information about game design contests before we finish this up? You can't win if you don't enter. Anyone else? Uh, no, I. <laughs> I've been laughing at Josh's response. Um, no, I. I think. Uh, I think that a lot of contests out there, I've noticed, like for board game designers forum, 
and like board game geek um you know they there are a ton of contests out there that have uh, you know they're just for fun and i think that's that's great i think the it, ultimately it's just you know you should enter a contest to because it's a fun process and as we said it just circling back to the very beginning is it needs to oh there's my phone um it it really needs to just uh be a catalyst to getting your idea kickstarted um and you know that i think is ultimately the benefit of those those contests you know so so um while it's fun to win it, it really to me is just about getting something going and you know you're always going to be better off at the end of it than you were even if you trash it you're like hey i explored that idea and it wasn't worth it but um but i think it's just you know they're they're fun to just kind of get the creative process in motion but but man is it fun to win <laughs> but man is it fun to win <laughs> and and hey i mean i i have to admit you know i I am the Pavlov's dog, you know, of, I, I continue to enter a contest because I've had success with them and, and good things have come from it. So it's like, even if you don't win, you make contacts with people that have it turn into something else, whether it's down the road, you know them and you can then pitch to them or, um, or, you know, you just made a, made a friend in the industry that, um, so, so nothing but good stuff has come from entering the contest. Um, and, and yeah, at the end of the day, it's just, they've been, they've been fun to be part of. It's so good to enter these contests. And so like, and it, the great thing is you get an opportunity to do your most innovative because honestly, if you lose the contest, it really doesn't matter. But if you win it with something new and, and, and amazing, it's like, it's, yeah, you've got people. You've got people knocking down your doors to try to take your game, and that's a huge benefit. So, so do your weirdest, craziest idea for every contest, and do you enter enter those those nice publisher curated contests, and you know whatever you need, and you might smash it out of the park. It'd be awesome. Yeah, I think for me, you know, contests are a really valuable tool uh, as a designer to you know give you that motivation give you a target give you something to work towards but you know as we've uh, said earlier you know winning isn't really the ultimate goal necessarily it's you know gaining that experience gaining that uh, that knowledge of what you're good at and you know if you're trying to chase after every contest you're you're just not going to have the time and the energy to devote to the projects that you actually really want to work on. Uh, I know I've personally, like I see a lot of these contests and I'm like, Ooh, yeah, I, I could, I could totally do that contest. And I find myself like rest restraining myself being like, no, no, I, I don't need to do it just because I think it's something I can do. Like, let, let me wait and find the contests that really speak to me. And 
then those are the ones that I'm really going to give a shot. Cool. Well, thank you all for joining me. Um, let's just go down the list. You can give any contact info, any projects you're working on now you want to tell people about, or any cons you'll be going to if they're coming up soon. This will be posting next Wednesday. So let's start with Steven. So, um, yeah, so right now I have a game up on Kickstarter called Tricky Tides, which uh, was, in fact, a contest winner uh, in the Game Crafter trick-taking contest. And um, so it's up on Kickstarter now. And, uh, and then next week, so when this airs, it might be live, I guess, um, both Nat and I um, have games coming up from Button Shy. Um, I have Sprawlopolis, and Nat has Super Tall, uh, which he can tell you, tell you more about. But uh, that should be uh, up on Kickstarter uh, by the time this airs. You can find me at t- on Twitter, which is at S-T-E-V-E-N-A-R-A-M-I-N-I, at Stephen Aramini. And Nat? Uh, yeah, as uh, Stephen said, I'm going to have uh, Super Tall up from Button Shy uh, probably sometime in the next uh, month and a half or so. Next place you can catch me in person, I'm going to be out at Origins, probably testing a whole bunch of stuff with uh, Josh. You can find me, I guess, on my... Uh, I've got a blog that I update uh, irregularly, uh, oakleafgames.wordpress.com. Uh, and you can search for me on Twitter, uh, at Oakleaf Games. And I just learned something, because I actually... I did not know. I thought Super Tall and Sprawlopolis were shipping out together, so... Uh, Hey, I just learned something. That's why I have the podcast, to pass <laughs> on information. I think he's actually switching to one game at a time now. Oh, yeah, see, I'm out of the loop. Got to get on the Slack. It's a busy place. <laughs> and Josh. Uh, if you want to learn what an awesome game feels like to play, come out to Origins and play an American Steel by me and Nat. Uh, or Nat and I. He would be very angry. Uh <laughs> Uh, I also have I'll have all kinds of fun stuff I've been working on uh, a day to the dead game some like some always some weird uh, obscure American stuff I'll have on me uh, and then I'm also doing one of, one of the postcards in Nat's world for uh, <clears throat> the uh, button shy monthly board game of the month club uh, but you can find me at Joshua J Mills on Twitter on Google, just put Joshua J. Mills into the internet and you'll find me. Come talk to me. Let's talk about game design. Make cool stuff. TC, do you have anything since I, I brought you onto this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, okay. Um, I'll say stuff. I, I <laughs> Don't I guess, feel like you have to. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was going to probably include me. I think I think, you think he knew. But hey, Let's you know, see what you say first. <laughs> <laughs> I love Chris. Hold on. Hold, right. for, hold for editing. <laughs> Okay, now go. It'll be easy to get you out. <laughs> um, so I, I this, I'm uh, TC Petty the Third. I am at Puppy Shogun, Puppy and Shogun on the Twitter. I guess I need to be invited to the Button Shy Slack now. I guess. Hint, hint. Heavy, heavily hinting towards. Maybe I got a game signed by Button Shy, and and <laughs> you should also pick up the Xenon Profiteer that we've been talking about. It has a new reprint, so now it's back in stores, and you can go buy it before it needs another reprint. Yeah, go buy Rocky Road Alamode as well. Awesome. Well, thank you all for coming to the show. Thank you for having us. Thanks a lot. Thank you.
That's all for this episode. You can find show notes for all episodes at theboardgameworkshop.com. Follow the show on Twitter at the BG Workshop. Like the show on Facebook and join the show's Facebook group to talk about episodes and game design. If you'd like to send in a question, you can email it to questions at theboardgameworkshop.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.